Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Good to have everyone today. Good to have you today, Sensei. We're going to talk about, uh, I think it's Good verse, to be had. <laughs> verse 24. If we're doing verse 24, that means we've been doing this for a couple of years because we meet wow. the first, yeah, the, yep. the first week. And yep. I know, uh, yeah, so we must be at two years or two, uh, two full years after this one then. Great. Any announcements? You can go to buddyc.org and get a lot of things there. You can go to resources and lots of recovery resources, including a daily email. If you'd like to get a daily email with all the recovery quotes, most that everyone uses the daily reflections as Bill sees it, 24 hours, all of those are on a daily email that goes out from an online AA group called Transitions Daily. So there's a sign up there. You can go to dailyaaemails.com and sign up. What we do in this podcast, this is the Tao of understanding. So what we're not Taoist, but we take the Taoist principles and we've seen how they have related to recovery, much like if you use the big book and the principles of AA, how they relate to most of our belief systems that we already have. So uh, in a similar way, we take Taoist philosophy and see where it brings light in areas of our current belief systems that that we still had question about. And, and it, it's, it's uh, helped me a lot to, to bring a lot of ideas together that I didn't know how to express that I didn't realize were expressed 2,500 years ago. And today, Sensei is going to help us from a Zen perspective and discuss how the 24th verse of the Tao Te Ching relates from a Zen perspective. And Craig had his hand up. What you got, Craig? I was just going to say, it occurred to me recently that we called the podcast The Tao of Our Understanding in relation to the big books, God of Our Understanding. It's amazing what you learn if you hang around for five years. You're just now figuring out that's why we named it that. I've been meditating on it. Have you also noticed that the U is lowercase for a reason? It's our understanding, lowercase understanding. Way to go, Craig. Proud of you, man. Who's to see after five more years for Craig? He'll probably be levitating by then. Who knows? You know, it does take a long time for the brain to regenerate after so many years of getting soggy. So I commend you, Craig. <laughs> In five years, I wouldn't be soon. I'll just be. I'll be telepathically, tele- telepathetically, is that what it is? Telepathetic, yeah, that's more like it. <laughs> oh, he's a good pin cushion. Thank you, Craig. Let's get started. The 24th verse. Since say you want to open us up by reading one of the translations you have? Yeah, would, would you, uh, Dr. Dyer, or do you want Jonathan Starr? I prefer Starr myself. Okay. On his tiptoes, a man is not steady. Taking long strides, he cannot keep pace. To the self-serving, nothing shines forth. To the self-promoting, nothing is distinguished. To the self-appointing, nothing bears fruit. To the self-righteous, nothing endures. 
from the viewpoint of Dao, this self-indulgence is like rotting food and painful growths on the body, things that all creatures despise. So why hold on to them? When walking the path of Tao, this is the very stuff that must be uprooted, thrown out, and left behind. Now, um, in, in Dyer's, the third line, self-appointing, I couldn't quite understand what is meant by self-appointing. He says, he is, who is self-righteous is not respected. So I think this ties into, and I think uh, Mark will say you will back me up on this, uh, the precepts, do not praise yourself at the expense of others, do not discuss the faults of others. But some of the precepts, the last, the second five out of the ten, which are more for disciples or people who are putting themselves in a position of representing Zen, so they're more kind of social, the first five are do not kill, do not steal, that type of thing, they're very personal. Uh, although they're also social, but uh, this verse sounds very much, reminds me very much of the precepts. And I like the, the physical bit about standing on your tiptoes. You're, you cannot be steady on your tiptoes. So why would you stand on your tiptoes to stand out from the others, right? So uh, this this comes close, I think, to Buddhism, where the self-indulgence part, as far as I know, I mean, I have, buddy, you know more than I know about this. Uh, the Tao doesn't directly criticize or attack our, the notion of a self period, like Atman or soul, whereas Buddhism, that's sort of one of Buddhism's first contrarian teachings. And this bit about self indulgence is just kind of describing the self. So it's very Buddhist, to my way of thinking. And, and also, too, with that, Sensei, I think the way Taoism uh, or Taoist philosophy would approach that is that your actions will find you out. You know, your actions, ever how you act, you're going to, to be the result of those actions. So whether there's a self or not, whether all that, it doesn't it doesn't go into that. But it says but it does talk about that if we don't let go, if we don't learn how to walk a walk in humility that yeah. we're not going to be following the path that's that's going right, to be good right. for us. Uh, Matsuoko Roshi and uh, I think it was Kiyosaku, Kiyosaku Mokurai, one of his collections, which by the way, we're reformatting. The publisher wants to publish a reader book. So we're probably going to have two. And the first one is pretty near complete, but it won't come out till 2024. But one of the stories he tells, one of the longer stories, is about the man who dies or is dying, and he has four wives, and he wants each of his wives to go to go with him. And the first one, they you know really loved the most. She couldn't do it. She could only go as far as the funeral. The second one, and the third one, and the fourth one that he neglected and didn't pay any attention to at all. She she would go with him all the way. And, of course, it turns out that she is the deeds that he's committed <laughs> all of his life. And the first wife is the family. The family's not going to go to the grave with you. They'll go as far as your funeral, but that's it. But the fourth wife was the deeds that you commit <laughs> in life. They go all the way with you to the grave. 
That's the only thing you're remembered for. <laughs> Chris, you have a question, sir? Uh, yes, I, I was just wondering how this reading re relates to karma, the concept of karma. But it sounds like the same thing. Well, it's all, my understanding of karma is it's all karma. Your DNA, you know, your history, it's all shared. It's not like an individual thing. It's like a bundle. And uh, if you get involved in the Vietnam War, you're sharing the karma of your country, you know, and its political leaders. If you root for the Braves, you know, you're <laughs> engaging the karma of your local community. But um, that's the way I look at it. It's all inclusive. Thank you, Chris. How about Thank you, Mark? Mark, where would you come from on that? Mark is steeped in a lot of this more than I am. I'm just a Zen guy. I'm not a Buddha guy. Buddhism guy. Yeah, Mark. He was asking. Yeah, you, Mark. Yes. Say you. Say you. Say what? Say you. Say you. <laughs> oh. So what? So what is it that you're asking me? Uh, the question was about karma and how does this looking at your life and the spectrum of history and in my case, 80 year cycles, you know, decades and then shrinking that to an 80 year cycle and then looking at the prior 80 year cycles and then finally centuries back to Buddha. I'd ha I, personally, I'd have to say, I, I really don't know <laughs> how it <laughs> relates to, uh, to karma because I see each of these things and I, what I have, uh, buddy, is what you sent me. It wasn't. It wasn't what uh, Sensei yeah. had. It's, it's had different. Read. We're we're going to read over those in a in a if we get to yeah. them, Mark. Right, but 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 they're they're all just different interpretations of what uh, exactly. Sensei, Sensei I think some of those read. are clearer, more clear, really. Actually, I was going to read Stephen Mitchell's, which is the second one. If you, and if so, you want to read one of the, or and so what I was thinking, um, as opposed to. Uh, karma. I'm not sure, Chris, where your question comes from, but uh, as I look at the readings, the, the, the four of them on this page, um, they feel very relevant now, not, not in relationship to uh, karma as far as I'm concerned. So I, I really wouldn't know where that I would, I would comment on that because these, these feel very personal. He who makes show is not enlightened he who is self-righteous is not respected i think that it's interesting to take each one of them and just kind of feel the power of the simplicity of the statement as it relates to us personally right here right now um so that's kind of how i how i kind of see it so i really don't have a reference but the uh, summary of karma would be everything that is right here, right now, is the sum total of your karma, mm -hmm. or of our, our shared karma. We're all complicit in everything that's happening, even though we're not personally responsible for it. We're still complicit in it, mm -hmm. to some degree. I don't think anybody can totally extract themselves from it, even, even Buddha. I don't mm -hmm. think that was his message. I don't buy into that, Sensei. I'm not a karma. I'm not a karma believer, other than what my direct. I'm almost not like a belief. An, it's not yeah, a belief. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a theory. Or a hypothesis. I don't I don't buy into that theory. 
because most people who believe it or most people who preach it, it is a belief. Nope. So I, I, I just uh, now I think I I think I reap what I sow in regards with other people, but I think that would be as far as it would go. I don't think it's anything more, but that's just me. Now on the I want to read the second one of the four translations. If anyone would like to read any of the others again. Before before we leave that point, toss a baseball bat in the air and it comes down and hits you on the head. That's not karma. That's causality. So if you think of Buddha's teaching of causality, that this is, that is, that this is not, that is not, etc. And the 12-fold chain of interdependent origination that's a much better, more scientific or healthier way of thinking about karma. It's not a, it's not a belief. It's not a uh, superstition. It's just common. It's just causality. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else got a comment with any of that before we move to the readings? I was, I was trying to think of the word and since he just said it, because anytime I think of karma, it's always something that comes back to bite me in the ass. <laughs> And it has always been because that, that that's that's all that's all I've ever heard of it. You know, karma's a bitch, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's always been. And I, I kind of get what Buddy's saying. You know, it's I reap what I sow, um, and then since he just hit on the superstitious side of it as well. And that's that's where my mind automatically goes when yeah. they're talking about karma. Yeah. I, I didn't. I it's didn't not, realize it's not, it was. It's I, not Newtonian in the sense of equal and opposite effect. Mm-hmm. Every every. It's more. It's not going to be equal necessarily, nor opposite. Every how did Newton state it? Every action, every, every has, action has a reaction. That is yeah. equal and opposite, or something like that. Yeah. But in in karma, the whole theory of karma is to explain the unexplainable. Everybody's got some things they can't explain. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. So I think it's a supposition or a conjecture that says, well, you know, it could be. If it is causality, it could be coming from a prior lifetime. Who knows? I mean, you know. But Sensei, isn't that that, um, stepping into searching for some meaning or some purpose to life when? uh, Well, or a way of of just not getting bogged down in trivia. (laughs) Yeah, but but to say that there is is something to... To entertain about it, it, it kind of keeps going. The it's the, it's, the sex like all of Buddhist teachings is meant to be. It's just my karma, man. I, I you know I I must deserve this. It's not meant to say it's just their karma. Ukraine, you know, they did something bad in past lives, and Putin is the revenging avenging Buddha here, or something like that. It's not like that. It's just if if. I'd like to use some profanity, but I won't. <laughs> if, if, if something hits your fan, you know, yeah. uh, it may be your fault. And you may not be able uh, uh, The Dalai Lama said this about it, something like this. He said, one thing we cannot understand about the Western mindset is that you insist on, a, how do you put it, accommodating everything or explaining everything in terms of this lifetime, he said, for us, that's like losing something in the kitchen or losing something at home and insisting on looking only in the kitchen. So causality 
is not simple in Buddhism. Causality is not just what goes around comes around. It's not something you can put your finger on. I mean, you can't even, we can't even identify the cause of our own existence. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, but, but I think that having out there this karma uh, prolongs the, the, the search for that meaning. And, and I, it could. That's, that's the point I'm making. And, yeah. and so that to me, it, it's not a waste of time, but to recognize that it, it's it's in the weeds of our own understanding uh, yeah. to come up with to satisfy this purpose or this meaning to our life, which has none. That's like asking why. You know, never ask why. Why is not the question. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? Okay, let's read. Who would like to read? I'm going to go ahead and read Stephen Mitchell first. Yeah. That's the second one. I don't understand the first line. He who stands on tiptoe doesn't stand form. I think it uh, means firm, isn't it? Firm. Yeah, probably firm. Probably typo. Yeah. It is supposed to be firm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. He who rushes ahead doesn't go far. I really like this one. He who tries to shine dims his own light. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just that's what I love about the simplicity of Tao's philosophy. It doesn't. It, hey, if you try to if you try to shine so bright, you're going to dim your own light. You know, I mean, it's just simple, simple, simple. Well, that's one of the phrases in this that I would say, yeah, karma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, Mark, it you don't need to have karma for it to benefit you. Exactly right. You know, and all of these, I think you hit it on nail on the head, and say are about humility, the awareness of humility, and how to how to live humbly. He who defines himself can't know who he really is. Mm-hmm. He who has power over others can't empower himself. He who clings to his work will create nothing that endures. If you want to accord with the Tao, just do your job, then let go. So is the pronoun bothering you there, Marlon? (laughs) (laughs) The pronoun he? (laughs) No, I read it as the he is in the human, as a human. Yeah, yeah. Some of them, they use she, sensei, and those don't offend me either, so. Reminds me of the story of the of the professor that comes to visit the Zen master up in the mountain. Who, when it, he's talking and talking and talking, as the Zen master is pouring the tea, and it just keeps on going. <laughs> the one that says, "He who defines himself cannot know who he really is." But the, it's already filled up. <laughs> it's already it's already there. He has no space for him to see himself in others, right? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. In American East, it's. You're full of it. (laughs) I was going to offer to read the Jane English version. He who stands on tiptoe is not steady. He who strides cannot maintain the pace. He who makes a show is not enlightened. He who is self-righteous is not respected. He who boasts achieves nothing. He who brags will not endure. According to the followers of the Tao, these are extra food and unnecessary luggage. They do not bring happiness. Therefore, followers of the Tao avoid them. 
Yeah, I think that one's pretty plain English. They, they, they all start to get clearer, I guess. Can anybody explain why so, so many translations are so different in part and then this very same at the end, like, or in another part, like the one that Dyer uses, the last verse is exactly the same as the one as Star. Let me read Dyer's because it's, if you stand on tiptoe, you cannot stand firmly. If you take long steps, you cannot walk far. Showing off does not reveal enlightenment. Boasting will not produce accomplishment. He who is self-righteous is not respected. He who brags will not endure. All these ways of acting are odious, distasteful. They are superfluous excesses. They are like a pain in the stomach, a tumor in the body. When walking the path of the Tao, this is the very stuff that must be uprooted, thrown out, and left behind. So the last verse is exactly the same. And yet, there's so, and I know the Chinese language is ambiguous, they tell me. And so a whole lot of interpretation, but sometimes they just, it's exactly the same interpretation. It just confuses me. I, I don't do any translation, so. I, you know, in the Jonathan Starr, I found the Jonathan Starr commentary from Dr. Dyer, and he used the star to do his translation. It's a different Chinese language. It's oh, okay. an old Chinese okay. language. Stephen Mitchell said he did was he just went through, read it, meditated on it, looked at the old, you know, looked at everything, and then wrote about it what he thought that it was trying mm-hmm. to say to him. That was why you get so many different. And if you look in the Jonathan Starr commentary in the back for each one of those, you've got lots of different words you could use for every every word. Right, right. And once in a while, the translators will 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 tell you that in the footnotes and endnotes, they'll show you how this or this could mean or could say. Right. To admire them. No, no, I was just going to comment that, uh, I mean, I read one here before that was the first one that, it, that, that I have here on the, on the page. Then I read the second one that I just read. And um, on the first one, it looks like to me that it's, uh, it is like the, the Gita book that they always say, the Krishna says, the no attachment thing. I mean, just do the action without thinking about the results. And that's that, that's the way I saw here. And I mean, that's the results, not what really matters. What matters is doing is doing what you have to do. And uh, and he closes the uh, uh, the, the verse here, saying, um, according to to followers of the Tao, these are extra food and unnecessary l- luggage. They do not bring happiness. Therefore, followers yeah. of the Tao avoid them. That's what baggage. What I excess think. baggage. Yeah. Right. Yes. Well, the uh, Red Pine said uh, in his translation, they work with dictionaries and things, you know. And Red Pine has done a lot of translation from Chinese. He said he dances with the language. It's kind of like uh, the way Buddy was describing the process. It's kind of. Uh, 
creative process. It's not necessarily strictly analytical, yeah. kind of gut level stuff, especially well, when it's poetry. These things, I think, were originally a form of poetry in the native language. And I find that in the English literature that we use in the Soto Zen, there are old poems from China, Japan, India, and I think there were poet there were poems. And uh I've set them to music as some of you know, and they they come out very musical even in English. Uh they have like an internal rhythm or something, even internal rhyming. What's the difference between Taoism and Confucianism? Because it sounds a lot I hear a lot of Confucius in these. Yeah. Uh, Confucianism uh, there's a verse at the end of Xing Xing Ming where he says, um, ministers serve their lords, children obey their parents. Not obeying is not filial. Failure to serve is no help. And so that's kind of the Confucian context of filial fealty, loyalty, serve your lord, you know, don't. More family-oriented, kind, of, kind of family-oriented, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then he goes on to say, with practice hidden, function secretly, like a fool, like an idiot. Just to continue in this way is called the host within the host. In other words, the most intimate. So he's pointing out the Zen difference with Taoism is even though you're serving your Lord, the children are obeying their parents, you internally are practicing secretly like a fool, like an idiot. You're not making a big show of your Buddhism. You're not, you know, flashing your juzu beads in everybody's face, etc. You're not making a point of it. Uh, like a fool, like an idiot doesn't mean modern parlance where those are pejoratives. A fool is like God's fool. All, we're all God's fools. You know, an idiot is somebody who's out of the mainstream. They just don't fit in. And yet, ministers serve their lords, children obey their parents. Matsuoka Roshi used to say the Zen person has no trouble following the sidewalks because the deeper meaning of existence has nothing to do with whether we conform or don't conform to societal standards. For me, Mark, the difference between those, there's a, there's a painting called The Vinegar Tasters. That really, for me, was where I learned the difference between Confucianism is a lot like the book of Proverbs in the Bible, where you have practical application. And if you do these things, your life is going to be better. And a lot of, uh, a lot of precepts, a lot of where, uh, well, let me just talk about the vinegar tasters for a moment. That was a, it's a picture of a metaphorical meeting between Buddha, Confucius, and Lao Tzu. And Lao Tzu is being Attributed to writing the Tao Te Ching. At that time, they did a lot of vinegar tastings. They used vinegar for all kinds of different purposes. And the explanation that I read taught that each would taste the vinegar and then comment about it. Confucius tasted the vinegar. He spit it out and said, you know, why would anybody want to taste that? You know, it doesn't taste good. And he just went on and on about that. And then Buddha tasted the vinegar and he said that our lives are difficult because we we want things to be different you know we're our attachment to good taste and all those things Lao Tzu tasted the vinegar and he smiled he said it's vinegar it's how it's supposed to taste acceptance right 
And every one of these verses, if you read it and look behind it, you can see acceptance in the verse, acceptance of what is. That's the thing about this verse, or one thing, is that you can see a shade of acceptance of what is throughout not trying to change people's attitudes about you, not trying to change their opinions of you, not, you know, and all those things you can see. Uh, even even the last part about doing your job and then letting go, that's all acceptance. So for me, Mark, that's how I see the difference between those. And if you're doing self-serving, self-promoting, self-appointing, self-righteousness and so forth, that's not accepting. No, not at all. Let, let me read. I want to read one more thing. And this is how I interpreted this verse. I, I called it accepting compliments. One who tiptoes does not stand firm. One who straddles a ditch cannot move fast. One who shows off is not walking the way. If you arrogantly insist on being right, you will always be wrong. One who blinds others with their success will ultimately fail. One who follows the way does not do these things. They learn to look at their life with gratitude and accept all as a gift to be given away. When complimented, they can say thank you but are really saying thank you to a higher power. That's how I looked at that verse. If it's a higher power is in thank you to what is, you know, that you could even go that far, you know, so it doesn't have to be the gray haired guy in the sky. If that doesn't fit with where you're at. That's how I look at that verse. It's all about humility. Craig, what you got? Sir? Okay. So I'm channeling my inner Amy. So here we go. So um, a couple of things are jumping out to me about this verse. Uh, the first one is Matthew 5. Sorry, go biblical on news. But um, I'm seeing a lot of this one is that, that when, you, when you forget about yourself and start looking after others, then we're going to gain more from it. Um, Matthew 5 is saying that um, you're blessed when, you're, when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. So when we care more for people, then we're going to get more love. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of the traditions from A in this as well, um, particularly the first, the, the first tradition where it says our common, um, our common welfare should come first rather than the individual's recovery. The second tradition part that says... Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. So it's not up to the individual to do things. It's as, it's as a collective. So we look out for a collective. The 10th tradition, just a wee second to jump my pages. It talks about Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. We don't bring any of the, the outside issues into to contaminate what's going on within our groups. The 11th tradition is the one that spoke mostly on this one. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. And when I'm talking to my sponsors about this tradition as well, I'm looking at, am I promoting the program that I'm working? Am I promoting my belief systems? Or am I attracting people to my way of life, the way that we do things? And that's how, as sponsors, we get sponsors. People find things that we have, so that kind of attracts us to that rather than... I, I never sit in any meetings and say, oh, but look at me, you know, look, look at what I'm doing. People will always um, relate to you through things that you share and your experiences to give them strength and hopes as well. 
Hold on right there, Greg. Hold on right there a second. You know, that one has an incredible personal application that's very much like this. Mm -hmm. The attraction, not promotion. Uh, Sensei. It's kind of a meme and Zen that I picked up from Okamura. You see it, saw it in Matsuoka. You see it in the different ones uh, in history. The attitude is not to promote Zen to others or to proselytize. It's more, um, I, this is my practice. This is what I do uh, to cope and keep my sanity or whatever. And I, you are welcome to join me in this. So it's more, and we, we talk about our newcomers approach. I'm just writing up a new draft for it because this retreat coming up, these are all training retreats. I, we train everybody in how to give newcomer instructions, for instance. So in case, in case somebody isn't there, somebody can step in and, and handle the newcomers. And uh, you don't have to be a priest or disciple, in, at least in our lineage. I know in more traditional lineages you do, but not, not with us. So we call it a welcoming newcomers workshop. And the whole idea is to be welcoming and to meet people where they are and, and so forth. We're not suggesting that you're not, that you're wrong. If you don't do this our way, it's more like this is the way we find effective and it works. And we welcome you to join us in doing this. And we'll teach you as best we can how, how to do the, the method, you know, how, how to approach it. So I think it's more like that than it is a religious crusade or proselytizing. We're not reaching out to find prospects. We're not trying to recruit people. We're not trying to convert anyone. Um, we're just, we're trying to meet the demand for of suffering in this context uh, where people are turning away from churches and they're turning away from, you know, social, scientific, political solutions and ideology. They're looking for something else. And I think that's what these great religions are. I don't even consider Taoism a religion, but that's what these great systems of the, of Asia with all their, you know, millennia of experience behind them, are, are holding out an offering. It's a third alternative to what the other organizations in our society offer. The religious side, fundamental fundamentalist is its most extreme fundamentalism, and the secular side, rationalism, and so forth, which, uh, you know, materialistic reductionism, it's his most radical uh, component. Zen is somewhere in the middle. I think Taoism is somewhere in the middle. I think these great systems are somewhere in the middle, and they offer an attractive, inviting, uh, to use Buddy's word, it's, a, it's attraction, or the, the word, it's like magnetism. Yeah. If you sit in, if you sit in uh, Zen meditation, I think it's undeniable, and I'm rattling on about this, so I'm, I'm talking against what I'm trying to say, because I'm going to say that you will develop a kind of charisma, you'll develop a kind of magnetism, a kind of gravitas. You'll be sitting in a meeting at the office where everybody's going nuts and you're not going nuts. And people people see that and they're attracted to it and they wonder what's different, you know. But you shouldn't let it go to your head. It's just the meditation. Just through your meditation, you're just becoming more and more still and more and more calm. You're becoming more and more natural. 
and everybody else has gone nuts, you know. So let me ask y'all something before you I know Craig, I gotta get back to you. Is this verse not a just a description of living a life of attraction rather than a life of promotion? All of this verse is just describing how if you're living that kind of a life, how you would respond, how you would react, and how you would behave. Thank you, Craig. I never, I have not seen that until right now from your comment. Do you have something else too? Yeah, I think actually this this verse is basically a Taoist translations of of how it works. You know, it's basically saying this: Look, really, have we seen a person fail who has not thoroughly followed that path? At one point, it says, "If you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then this is how we did it." You know, it doesn't say this is what you must do. We we also go on to say, look, here are the steps that we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. You know, and, and again, it goes on about our experiences of what we've done, how we've done it. Even at, at certain points in the big book, it says, look, this pro- at some point you may find that this program is not for you. And that's fine. That's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing wrong with you. It's just the fact that maybe you're not, th- this isn't the program you want to go for. The, um, the last tradition um, was the biggest one that hit for me. Um, but I just wanted to do them in order. Um, the 12th tradition says, and it talks about anonymity, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I think that's a massive thing with this verse as well. I think this one's saying, look, it's not about you. This, this, this program is not about you. It's about the collective, and it's about how you can be available and how you can help people. You're not going to get that by standing on tiptoes and not being firm, Sensei. Oh, is that word you're using? Are you saying possessions? The twelfth possession. Traditions. What's the word? Tradition. Tradition. Commission. Commission. Tradition. I'll, I'll, I'll print the chat. Tradition. 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 Yes. Tradition. Tradition. <laughs> okay. Okay. English, Craig. It also implies that you are okay by yourself. You don't have to be liked. You, you don't have to get other people's attention. Uh, you have confidence. Matsuoka Roshi was asked often about what's the secret of Zen, what's it about, and he'd say confidence in everyday life. No matter what you're doing, where you are, what situation, you have confidence. Most of us are only confident in a situation we're extremely familiar with. Like driving a car, I'm confident I can drive most, most cars, right? But uh, Zen and I think these traditions and your your tradition of the twelve step program is you become confident in situations that would ordinarily be very stressful for for anybody. You're going to get through it. You're okay. And in relationships, if you're not okay by yourself, you don't really have anything to offer that relationship other than need. If you need the relationship to be okay, then there's something wrong. But if you're okay by yourself, Bodhidharma in the cave, you know, that's very attractive. Because it's not like, I don't need this stupid relationship. It's not like that, you know. But it's more like, I have something to offer this relationship because I don't have need for it. <laughs> right. Uh, Chris, I was going to, I wanted to make sure and get to you. Your hand's been up and down. Do you have something, sir? Well, this discussion right at the end prompted me to, I've got a different translation here. I don't know if, um, by Witter Binner, Binner, 
And um, the end of it is much different from what we've been reading. And it relates to what you're talking about here. So I think so standing tiptoe, a man loses balance, walking astride. He has no pace. Kindling himself, he fails to light. Acquitting himself, he forfeits his hearers. Admiring himself, he does so alone. Pride has never brought a man greatness, but according to the way of life, brings the ills that make him unfit, make him unclean in the eyes of his neighbor, and a sane man will have none of them. Um, I'll read the last part again. Pride has never brought a man greatness, but according to the way of life, brings the ills that make him unfit, make him unclean in the eyes of his neighbor, and a sane man will have none of these. Thank you, Chris. That's, that's interesting. You, interesting you mentioned that, Chris, because I was listening to um, Bishop Barron. He's the, the Catholic bishop. He was the Archdiocese of Santa Barbara, and he was talking about original sin um, this week, and how there's a lot of different interpretations for it, where he came back to pride was the original sin. Um, and then from there, the, the reason for that was that um, if I take my pride so seriously, then I automatically find that I'm making myself bigger than God or you know, the creator of the universe, doubt, whatever it is that you, that you want to they want to call it. Pride goeth before the fall, right, Mark? Right. Yeah, there, there was a couple of things that, that kind of st- stick out to me um, in, in difference and, and sense I could comment on it between the study of this and, and the study of Zen is that these seem to be focused on us understanding how we show up in the world, how we show up. If, uh, for example, he, uh, he who strides cannot maintain the pace. It's kind of like saying like this, like this, like this, as opposed to Zen, which is uh, traditionally not that, N- not that, as opposed to like this. Like the although, although the teachings do have, if you're you know more contemporary, but in the past it was more not not that, and so this this seems like it's more. It doesn't really push the individual to a deeper awareness of what is uh, a truer self or a truer uh, way of being below the social interaction of of everyday life and living um, in the virtue of what they're, they're talking about, which is different. It's a different way of approaching practice than, than Zen practice. Thank you, Mark. Sensei. Yeah, I think uh, the Zen Zen has some pretty nice simple formulas. One is uh, backward step. It means Dogen said something like, to carry yourself forward to the 10,000 things is delusion, and experience the 10,000 things is delusion. That the myriad things or the 10,000 things come forth and experience themselves is awakening. So it's like letting it flow to you rather than going after it. It's the grasping mind versus the receptive mind. Mm-hmm. And really, uh, when Mark was talking, it occurred to me that this is very much like the Metta Sutta. The Metta Sutta was attributed to Buddha, 
and it starts out uh, something like, uh, this is what may be accomplished by the one who is wise, who seeks the good and has obtained peace, that one be strenuous, upright, and sincere, without pride, easily contented and joyous. I'm losing the line there, but let one not be submerged by the things of the world. Let one do nothing that is wise or that the mean would reprove and so on. And then may all beings be happy is the recurrent refrain of the, of the piece. But then it goes on into, may all beings be happy, uh, all living beings, whether weak or strong, in high or middle or low realms of existence, near or far, or visible or invisible, born or yet to be far, near or far, and so forth. May all beings be happy. And then it shifts into kind of a social dimension. Let no one, dis a human kind of dis the, uh, dimension, let no one uh, deceive another, nor despise any being in any state. Let none by anger or hatred wish harm to another, even as a mother at the risk of her life watches over and protects her only child. So with a boundless mind should one... Um, cultivate a something mind suffusing love over the entire world above below and without and without limit and so let one cultivate an infinite goodwill toward the whole world and standing or walking sitting or lying down uh, in all one's waking hours let one cherish the thought that this way of living is the best in the world abandoning vain discussion having a clear vision Freed from sense appetites, one who realizes the way will never again be reborn in the cycle of creation of suffering for oneself or for others. So he doesn't say one will never be reborn. He says one will never be reborn back into the cycle of creation of suffering. And rebirth is another concept like karma. I think we want to take it as a conjecture or as a way of thinking, uh, not as an argument. But that sounds very much like this is what, you know, this is what may be accomplished by the one who is wise. And also, too, for me, how do I, Stephen Mitchell at the end there, the last stanza, if you want to accord with a Tao, just do your job, then let go. The way I can do that is with gratitude. Uh, that's about the easiest way for me to do that. Look at everything as a gift to be given away. If I'm looking at things in that, in that light, it's easy for me to let go and not try to push what I do and, you know, and I blind others with my life. You know, that, that doesn't work. Sensei. Yeah. The th I think the distinction there in Zen would be when you say, just do, do my job. The question would be, what is your job really? And so the, uh, or, or who is doing this job, right? <laughs> who is doing this? That'd be part of it. But it would be more like um, my view is that what we do in training, what you're doing here in training in Taoism as well, is very radical politically. We're training people to think independently, and we're training people to act interdependently. So if you think of politics and ideology, it's, it's basically the opposite. You want people to think dependently. We're all going to think alike. We're all, we all have to be on the same side. We're all going to and then you want them to act codependently. If you look at it from that perspective, what we're doing is a radically subversive political act. 
by helping people get back to themselves and become their original selves, so that they are probably more likely in any given situation that they walk into to be able to do, quote, the right thing, or to be able to act out of compassion and a grasp of what is the most balanced or judicious result in this particular situation than if they have not been preparing themselves on the cushion. So it's overcoming the self and, and our attachment to the self and having to, even having to be right. Go into a situation, you may be wrong, but you still, you still take the risk. Thank you, Sensei. It's top of the hour. Any other comments before we close, guys? Good conversation today. Thank you. Well, if there's nothing else, thank you, guys, and we will see you next week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.